Welcome to season two of the Paper Talk podcast, where we have candid conversations with artists and industry leaders from around the world. Our goal is to share knowledge, connect our community, and elevate the artistry of our craft. Hi, I'm Jesse Chu. Hello, I am Quinn Wynn, and we are the founders of the Paper Floors Collective. Welcome, everybody. This is episode number 33. I'd like to welcome our next guest. She's amazing. She's already done 35 workshops in just last year. In 2019, it's unbelievable. I don't know any other paper florist that has done that many workshop, you guys. This is Emily Paluska of Reverly Paper Floor. Let's welcome her. Hi, Thanks Emily. so much, Quinn and Jesse. Hi. Yay. <laughs> so nice to have you on. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> so you're our first guest for 2020. I can't oh, believe thanks. season two of Paper Talk. It's super amazing. And I don't know, it's just been really amazing watching you grow as a paper florist. And I've loved seeing all your workshop. It's been amazing. Tell us, how did you start with workshops? So I started with workshops. I would have never thought to have done them myself because I've always had a fear of public speaking. But a venue in DC had reached out to me and she said, do you teach workshops? And I was like, sure. And so, you know, it was kind of one of those things yeah. where what I've learned with, since starting this business is you should say yes to things that scare you. And so it mm-hmm. totally freaked me out. And, but I thought it would be a really good business opportunity. So I said yes. And then once I taught that workshop, that first workshop, it sold out. And then I had other venues around DC that I reached out to that I started teaching at. And I just kind of started it just happened. Like, I can't believe that it happened, but it was just with the one that it started. And then I was teaching at five different venues. And then once I started teaching at so many different venues, then people recognized my name and were reaching out to me for other events, businesses that wanted me to teach workshops. So it just kind of started with one simple yes for one venue in DC, and then it kind of exploded. So that's amazing. Yeah. I love that's that. really cool. Are these locations like all bi- uh, small businesses? Yes. For the most part, most of them are. DC is great. There's a lot of set aside space for workshops. So there's some combination retail places that are, a lot of them are local businesses and local small businesses. Some of them are, I think, owned outside of DC, but all kind of small, like one to two people businesses. And then they also have a workshop space set aside in that space store as well. So there's a couple that I teach like at that. I did a special one this year with Appointed. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with them. It's the stationery and paper goods company. If you're not, you should look at their stuff because it's amazing. So (laughs) I'm sure you've you've seen their stuff. But anyway, they had me do like a special event. I did something for like a big, it's actually a huge mall in Virginia. They had me come and do like a pop-up there where I taught 30 people at one time. I'm going to be doing some things this upcoming year for cherry Bo- the National Cherry Blossom Festival, teaching cherry blossom workshops. So yeah, so it's really interesting. There's a lot of different types of businesses that are interested in teaching workshops, which I would have never thought before. So definitely the places that, like I just mentioned to you, that half of their business is is a workshop space. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. then other things like like farms, like stationary stores or places that are not, they just want to get kind of get people in the door and let people know that they're, you know, doing things with the community. So it's kind of a win-win. So it's a win-win for you for exposure. And then it's a win-win for the business that they're showing that they're trying to open their doors to the community. So, so yeah, that's kind of kind of all over the map. There's not one specific place I teach at, which I like because it kind of keeps me on my toes. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, is that how you would define Washington? 
do you see like the area that you live in, in terms of the type of interest in creative opportunities, you know, people signing up for workshops, whether it's paper flowers, it's pottery, it's, you know, stationery. I'm just curious because every location is different. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting is DC is very specific of so many people that live here work for the federal government or Mm -hmm. they do some sort of job like that in that sort of field. And so a lot of people that do come to my workshops are people that are like federal employees and have, you know, nine to five jobs that are not very creative. So doing something outside of their norm is very appealing, but That being said, I think DC has an amazing artist community. It's very inclusive, which is kind of funny because when you think about DC, you think about it being very clicky. Like who who do you know that's going to help you get into a job? Or who do you know? What are your connections? Which I think that can very much be the case for federal work or government work or things like that. But in the artist community here, it's kind of the opposite where it's like, oh, you do this? Great. I know somebody else that does this. Mm -hmm. And like, how can we all work together? So I felt nothing but welcome here. I, it was, it's kind of the opposite of being intimidated. I felt Mm -hmm. like I've only encountered people that have wanted to make my business better or make me a better artist or a better business person. And so DC has a great artistic community. I'm not sure. I think also too, you know, the standard of living here is higher. So people might have in the city specifically, or I think in many cities like Seattle, Toronto, people have a little bit more discretionary income maybe to do fun classes, right? That maybe elsewhere, it wouldn't be as financially viable for them to do that. You know, when you live in a city, it's more expensive. And so I think that, so yeah, I mean, I I hope that doesn't sound negative. Like you have to have a higher income to take classes, but yeah, I just think that there is like a lot of interest in classes like this here because it's the city and people want to get out people. That being said, I do have a lot of people that come in from the suburbs, like in Alexandria, Arlington, Mm -hmm. Virginia, or even Maryland that come in. But I think for the most part, when you live in a city, the vibe is that people want to be involved. People want to get out. People want to do things. And so I think that also helps the creative community and spaces that host workshops, you know, and obviously I'm not the only one. There's so many talented artists that teach so many different types of workshops that are so wonderful. There's something for everybody for sure. Mm -hmm. So not only do you do workshops in DC, but you also do it in Texas too. How do you go about doing like two city workshops? So I have family in Austin, Texas. So up until the point where my son started full-time school this fall, we were going about every three months. So I was in Austin a lot and I had, you know, a lot freer availability to go do things like that. I'll be back in Austin this summer to teach, but unfortunately I won't, probably won't be there before then. But I'm not sure if you're familiar with the paper craft pantry in Austin. Payson. I am not, but I oh, need to go check it out. Please do, yes. <laughs> what is it called again? It's called the Paper Craft Pantry. So it's an amazing stationery and paper goods store. And then half of their business, the physical store, is set up for workshops. And she, the owner, Pei, she's amazing. She picks the most amazing classes. I wish I lived in Austin so I could take the classes that she chooses. But she, I really do have to credit her with giving me confidence in doing workshops because I had submitted online to try to get into teaching there. And I thought, I'll never hear from this person because I'm just not on that level. And I did hear from her and I just felt so honored to teach there. And then she was also just an amazing person to kind of help me on the business side when I had, you know, not necessarily insecurity, but questions of where to go, how to expand, how to do things. She really gave me a lot of great lessons in that. But anyway, that's how I connected with her was, and I found them through Instagram actually, but it's an amazing workspace. So if you're near 
Austin, Texas. You should definitely go take a class there. <laughs> but that's how I, I kind of just thought about it since I would go down to Texas for such long periods of time. I thought, well, I need to work while I'm there. So yes. it just kind of made sense. It also helped to say, hey, look, I not only teach in DC, I can travel and I can teach elsewhere. So it was just kind of another thing that kind of builds up your resume. You could say you teach, you know, in different locations. So that's, that's kind of how that came about. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. What have you found interesting about working at different locations? Well, I think that there's definitely, you know, every space has kind of a different ambiance, which is interesting. Usually people that come to certain workshops, they only go to that location. So I get used to certain people at certain places. For the most part, you know, all of the workshop spaces are pretty similar in terms of just the feel of them. They're open, they're homey, they're comfortable. They're somewhere where you feel, it feels nice to sit down for a few hours to make a flower. For the most part, they don't feel that different to me. They're just in different places around the city. I don't think that there is that much of a different. I try to keep my classes, whether people go if people do go to different locations, that it feels the same to them. They don't feel like they have to get reacquainted or it feels like it's a totally different class. I want them to feel like, okay, like I've taken one of her classes before at Steadfast Supply and now I'm at Shop Made in DC. And okay, like it's just a different, like we're in a different physical space, but it's the same experience. For sure, for sure. You mentioned that your teaching philosophy was to, you know, teach a new skill, but also to make sure that your students have fun. So Mm -hmm. what do you do to make sure that they have fun? I mean, Quinn's always talked about like, oh, let's just drink or something. (laughs) (laughs) I know. (laughs) I do it over a lot of wineries because in my area, I'm like 10 minutes from wine country in this area. So it just makes sense that if I'm doing it at a winery, they're going to serve their wine. And it right. does help it loosen people up a little bit. And they're not so like, oh, it's paper and cutting it. Yeah. <laughs> but you do have to like, there's logistic. If there's drinking involved, you know that you're going to need extra time because people do want to talk and hang out with their friends. And that's what usually workshops are. They get a girlfriend to come with and they can hang out and have fun, but also they can learn something together. So. Yes. Yeah. Well, so I always tell people from uh, the very beginning, there's two things that I try to do, which is I agree with you that when people see the paper, they're like terrified to cut it. They're terrified to use it. So actually pay from the paper craft pantry gave me this idea. I cut some strips of paper ahead of time and everybody gets one so they can touch and they can feel it and they can stretch it. And so it feels a little bit less intimidating to cut into it. I also always bring a ton of extra paper. So I tell people, if you mess up, I've got plenty. Don't worry about it. And I also try to tell people, you know, nature is not perfect. So your paper flowers shouldn't be either. And, you know, there's always somebody, every class that's like, I'm like, I've never had anybody make a bad flower. And then someone's always like, every time well, you haven't met me before. And so <laughs> I tried and I, now I cut people and now I, I'm always like, I've never seen anybody make a bad flower before. And I know what you're thinking. You're going to be the first one, but you're not. And it's true. I've never had anybody leave with something that was bad. Everything looks really beautiful always. And it's interesting. And you, you know, you guys teach as well. You're giving people the same materials, the same directions, the same templates, but their flowers look wildly different, which Mm -hmm. I love that, right? It's their own little spin of style. And so I think at the end of it, I want people to have fun. It wasn't supposed to be a chore or a class that they're getting a grade on. It's an activity that they're doing. I like to look at it as a form of self-care. They're taking a step away from their responsibilities, their daily grind in their life, and they're just doing something fun. They're 
making something with their hands, they're starting from materials where they sit down and they have zero idea what they're doing to walking out with the beautiful flower. And I'll never get tired of that feeling of joy that I see with people. They're like, oh my God, like I could, I did it. Like Mm -hmm. I actually did this. And it's why I like doing workshops because I think it's such a good reminder to, you know, we're always on our phones, me included, but to do something tactile and to not do something where we're just doing stuff over Instagram or Facebook or email or whatever. You know, we're actually face-to-face. You're talking to your neighbor. A lot of people that take my classes come by themselves, which I think is great. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, and there's definitely people that come with friends, but I love that someone's like, hey, I just want to go like take a paper flower glass this weekend. And people always end up talking to each other. They make friends. I have a lot of repeat people that come. So they recognize somebody from a different class or a different venue. And I also love all the people that have come to many classes that ease the fears of the people that are new. And they're like, it's going to be great. You're going to do awesome. And just to see people cheer each other on, it's just like, for lack of better word, it's really heartwarming to see that, you know, it's just this like very, I want it to be a very inclusionary space. You know, Mm -hmm. everyone's welcome. We're here to make art. We're here to have fun and it doesn't need to be serious. Yeah. I love that. Yes. For sure. I think that makes the best workshop, just having that philosophy and also that heartwarming feeling where you know it's a safe space. So it doesn't matter if you cut it wrongly, it comes together so beautifully, no matter your interpretation of what it looks like. I love that. Yeah. 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 And you know, I think it's really fun to see people like sometimes people change up the colors or they want to, sometimes we do pastels or paints. And so people will paint it an entirely different way than, you know, kind of the standard that I'm telling them to. And I love Mm -hmm. when people do that because they're like taking their own artistic spin on it and letting that part of them come out, which I think is just great. Like let loose creatively and just, yeah, they're there to just have fun and for sure. And not can have I, to think. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Can I, just for the interest of our listeners, since we we're talking about workshops and you have so mm-hmm. much experience in them, a lot of times that we have questions about is how do you run a workshop? And Kuna and I and Priscilla even did a podcast on this, but everyone has their own approach. And I thought it'd be a great you know, question for you, given that you do so many workshops and from so, at so many different venues, which probably have different requirements. So what do you do when you prepare for a workshop? Do you provide the students with a written tutorial on the spot? Do they get materials for each flower? Do they get extra materials to go home? How do you price yourself as well in terms of making sure that you're, you price yourself into the market, but also that the venue that you're using mm-hmm. uh, agrees that that's a good price for the market that they're targeting? That's a great question. So the way that I, I approached workshops is kind of as a consumer. So my workshops typically range between 65 to $80, depending on the class. They're always two and a half hours. I might do some more advanced ones in this next year where they might be a little bit longer, but my standard is two and a half hours between 65 and $80 per class per person. And I looked at it when in terms of pricing, not just making sure that it's worth my time. As you know, workshops take so much time to prep for and not just, you know, writing the flower, shopping the flower, making sure it works for someone to make it, but just, you know, prepping all the materials and writing all the guides and doing all of that. So A, you want to be able to compensate yourself for your time, the cost of materials, but then also that somebody that looks at that is like, okay, you know, it's not the cheapest thing to spend, you know, $70 on something just for fun that I don't need to do. So how do you make that value? 
how do you give that value back to them? So the way that I do it is I'm just going to give you an example. So for my peony class, so we make one flower in class in that two and a half hour window from start to finish. So they know exactly how to do it. They know kind of the intricacies of it, the, that there's, that they've done it through once. There's not any part where I'm like, okay, and then you can figure the rest of this out at home. It's like, okay, we made it from zero to a hundred, right? And then what I do is I send them home with materials to make more. So it depends on the flower, but with the peonies, we make one in class and then they have enough materials to make two more full peonies at home. I always let them know of the colors ahead of time so they know you know, I always have a photo that's given to the venue. So they know, okay, I'm going to make a white, a pink and a red. And they know it's not a surprise. And then I also send them home with a detailed guide and the templates. So from, you know, they have all of the knowledge from the in-person instruction, but then they also leave with the materials to make more at home. I send them home with glue. If we do pastels or paint, I send them home with the pastels. I send them home with the paint. I send them home with paintbrushes. The only thing I don't send them home with is scissors. So I look at that as even if you are the least crafty person ever, everybody has knock on wood, everybody has a pair of scissors at home, right? (laughs) Typically, or, you know, you can buy one at CVS or something like that. It's so, you know, scissors are ubiquitous anywhere. So I try to do it like, you don't need to have anything else at home. You just need to have scissors at home. I'm going to send you home with the glue, all of the other materials. So they see the value in, okay, I'm spending that much money, but I'm getting you know, almost a three hour class. She's going to teach me exactly how to make it. And then I have all of the things necessary to make more at home. I'm always very available by email later. I had somebody that got really stuck on something and, you know, I did the step for her in a video and sent it to her. So, you know, there's always, I try to be, you know, really accessible. Yeah. As helpful as possible. It's not just like, okay, I took your money and the class is over. Bye. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, Hey, I'm here. I want to talk about it. I want to see what you make. And I know for you guys too, it's exciting to see how someone that had no idea how to do something takes your class, they go home and they're so excited about it mm-hmm. that they want to make more and they want to show it to you. It's, it's wonderful. It is. Um, it's so wonderful. So that's typically how I approach it. Two and a half hours I have found is the sweet spot in terms mm-hmm. of timing. Like I don't typically have wine at my classes because we're like at venues. Sometimes there is wine there, but <laughs> but you have to account that A, people are oftentimes not going to be on time. So there's going to be, I usually like leave a 10 minute window at the beginning. And then I look at it as pretend that nobody's ever used a pair of scissors or or used glue before. And so you're going to have to, you know, and most people do, they don't need it to be that Uh, slow, but just to kind of give yourself the time. I never want it to feel like I'm rushing people like, okay, guys, like we got to keep moving. I'm always Mm kind of like, do it at your own pace. I'll catch you up if you need to. If you work faster, cool. Like we'll all meet together at the Mm -hmm. end. For the most part, I've never had a problem. Even when people work at wildly different speeds, we all get there in the end. And I'm always really flexible about, you know, staying later to help people Mm -hmm. and How many people do you normally have in a class? So the average uh, number is typically 16 people. I have taught as many at one time as 30. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have some things coming up this next year where it will be upwards to 40. I would say at that point, it gets to be a lot to try to manage 40 people that could be working at different paces. For sure. I actually think if you're first starting out, 
that you should keep your class size smaller. The yes. first class I ever taught, it was seven people and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. That was like the perfect number. I couldn't mm-hmm. have handled any more. <laughs> any less kind of would have been a little weird. Um, <laughs> but I think that when you're starting out, you should start small. And you can always get big. And every time I teach a class, I learn something else, like some little, yes, you know, little tiny thing that makes the next class better. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I think a, a good number just on average would be like 10, 10 is a great number mm-hmm. to have, but yeah, I mean, 16 is typically the average of what I teach. That's cool. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I did an event just a couple of months ago for the Joe Malone and I taught like almost 150 people within oh two gosh. days. So that was a huge learning curve for me. Yeah. And it was just a lot of people going through, but as we did each workshop, it just got better and better and yeah. smoother and smoother. And so if you can cram a lot of workshop in this short space of time, you're going to grow really fast. Yeah. But I agree, starting really small first to know your limit and mm-hmm. then adding some more people the next round. It's always the best way. Start small and then grow bigger and bigger because you'll mm-hmm. just learn more and more and add your skills. And as you learn more, you can charge more. Exactly. And, you know, I see people ask a Facebook group about, you know, I want to teach a workshop, like how do I start to do it or whatever. And I think that you should look at the venues around your area. Sorry, I kind of went off into another segue, but I... I think, you know, a lot of people would be interested in doing that. It's a good way to kind of get a blanket amount of if you're doing it for in terms of financially, it's a nice way to like make a chunk of money like right, you know, right there. But I think reaching out to different venues, like think about it as a consumer, like, hey, you go to a really great stationery store or paper goods store and it's small, it's independent, it's like a, a small business or even a bookstore. I teach at a bookstore actually in D.C. as well that has a great like table. And uh, I always sell out there. It's such a fun, cozy place. You know, we're at this big wooden table and then you have a ton of people surrounded, surrounding you, drinking coffee and reading books. It's awesome. So think about the places that you go to that you enjoy and think about if that would be a good fit. I mean, there's, I've taught, you know, at a huge mall or I've taught at a teeny tiny, you know, stationary store. There's, there's a lot of interest no matter the venue and it never hurts to ask. It never hurts to ask. The worst is that somebody tells you no and okay, fine. Then you'll find something else that works better for you. But I think also <laughs> I wanted to say to you guys, and I don't know if this needs to be cut in at a different point, but on my way to my first workshop, I was so scared to teach. You know, I was never good at public speaking. It terrified me. I thought I am so ill-equipped to teach anybody anything. And I was in my Uber on the way. And I literally thought, what if I just like drop and rolled out of this car? What if I just just did that? Like, what's the worst that could happen just because I was so scared to go. But I'm, but literally like, I, I just remember I was like 30 minutes into the class and I was like, okay, this feels right. Like this feels really good. And I think that as a business owner, a small business owner, as you guys know, it's a scary thing. It's, you know, you don't have a 401k. You don't have this cushion. Most of us don't have a cushion of like a huge financial thing. Like, oh, if I lose money or if nobody buys anything and I've invested all this time and money, there's no uh, safety net. But I think that doing things that 
that scare you and push you into a new direction is really good for your business. I think that it makes you overall more brave to do different things. And so I guess I just wanted to tell people, anyone that's scared to do it, if I can do it, (laughs) you can do it. (laughs) Because I used to just be so terrified to speak and now I don't even blink an eye. And I think it's also no matter what job you have, it's a really good skill to be able to talk to other people in Mm -hmm like a public speaking setting, it helps you as an adult in the world. Like absolutely to feel more comfortable with yourself. And I also think because, you know, we work by ourselves in a room all day, <laughs> like hunched over a desk, at least I do, is that it's really good to connect with other people. It's really good to get out of your house and force yourself to put on clothes and go talk to other adults and put yourself out there. And I think when you talk to other people about paper flowers and you talk about, you know, because people ask you a lot of questions like, how did you get into this and why do you love it? And things like that. It can, it can be a really nice reminder of why you do it in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's a, just a, I think it's a win-win situation. You're connecting with more people, people you're, it's just basically like a, a billboard for your business, you know, when you're at for promotional purposes and things like that. But then it's also just good for you mentally and for your business. And like as an artist to Mm -hmm. remember, okay, like I have to also connect with the world. I have to connect with consumers. I have to connect with why I love this art form so for sure I mean we should say like it doesn't hurt to try once and if you decide yeah. you know what it's not for me the worst that can happen is this two and a half hours is over and you never teach yeah. again <laughs> exactly and you know yeah exactly and yeah at least you tried it and you can decide if you like it or not yeah you know even people I was gonna say I know like if if people live in smaller towns or there isn't a lot of things like this, I I saw something the other day when I was at Michael's that they have, some Michael's have craft rooms and you can like rent them out. And so, you know, there's like so many options Mm -hmm. for how you want to do things. I know some people invite people to their house. Yeah. Yeah. You can do your house. Like, hey, you know, I'm free on Saturday from three to five. Come over. I'm making flowers anyways. I'll, you know, for a flat fee, we'll make flowers together kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great start for someone who's considering. Yeah. Why not? Teach your friends first. They're yeah. Like, and you know what? They can give you like very frank feedback too yes. as well. Brutally <laughs> so honest. Not, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like, I, yeah, like, I think what comes out of, I mean, your story is going for what's scary. You know, yeah. like you said, it pushes you, it challenges you, it, it creates an atmosphere for you to grow as an artist or as a teacher, whatever it might be. If we're never scared of something and we're always in our comfort zone, then we're going to be doing the same thing over and over again. So, yeah. no, I, I think it's a great lesson that, you know, your experience has taught you and and really is um, telling our followers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you guys, like on all of those points so much, but yeah, you can always try it. And if it's not for you, that's okay. You know, but it's, it's a great way to, I think it's a, it's just one more thing when you're a small business and we're still kind of trying to educate people about paper flowers in general. It is one thing that how you can show your value, like, Oh, like uh, you don't want to buy them. Do you want to learn how to make them? You know, there's like some, like, I always kind of look at it. It's another angle to kind of get you in the door. Yeah. You mentioned um, that it's really good exposure for your business. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have any personal experience with that? I'm assuming you do. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten a lot of, I, you know, people that have taken classes that have, have made, have ended up having me do like private commissions for them. One of them was somebody was in 
the store that I was teaching at and saw the flowers and contacted me. And I ended up doing this big play for Lululemon. And I would have never gotten that if I hadn't happened. Mm -hmm. Like they were like, oh, I was walking by and I saw you were teaching something. And then I looked at your website and oh, can you do this? And it was like (laughs) huge to, you know, have Lululemon as a client. So anyway, I, you know, so things like that, or, you know, other people, like other businesses that are looking for people that do workshops have some like I haven't asked the Smithsonian how they found out about me, but that makes me, it makes me think it's because, you know, when you look at DC artists or DC workshops in the area, I come up a lot because I put myself out there a lot, you mm-hmm. know? I actually think it's a great, I, from personal experience, I think it's a great way to um, get local exposure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Instagram, as much as like Instagram's great and social media is great and people can yeah. find you, there are mm-hmm. also so many other fishes in the sea yes. that they absolutely. can like reach out to and it could be, you know, if shipping or whatever location is not an issue. But when you run across like people personally, yeah. you know, whether you meet them or you see their work in person and you're looking specifically for local artists, it's such a great way to like you said put your face out there you know if your face is out there more than other people the opportunities uh, sorry the chances that your paths will cross with someone else who can give you those opportunities I mean it's out there exactly absolutely and it's a great way to like network yourself too like hey I work with this business and this business and then they could suggest you for something else you know and it's there's nothing that bad has come from it or people that take classes are like telling all of their friends and then I have Mm -hmm. people come like oh my friend told me about this and then it's filling more of your workshop seats so you know I really think that there is in terms of like the publicity standpoint, there is no downside to it because it just puts you more out there for people mm-hmm. to see you. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Emily. It was such yeah. a pleasure talking to you and learning more about workshops because I know a lot of people are thinking about, should we even do workshop this year? Mm-hmm. So this is a great start off and lots of really amazing tip and how to make a better workshop. So thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, I, can I say one other tip? Oh, for sure. One thing that I uh, wanted to say was when you teach your workshops, if you decide to teach workshops, you should tell people at the beginning of class that they should leave your scissors because I've lost <laughs> so, like hundreds of dollars of scissors because I've forgotten to tell people and then people are out the door and I was like, oh my God. I just lost like a hundred <laughs> of the scissors. So yeah, that's just my one little extra thing that I'd say. <laughs> yes. But I you should tell- paranoid about that. Yeah, it's very, yeah. And I finally invested in the micro tip scissors for people yes. for workshops. Oh, wow. So now I'm extra like, for you. okay, guys, I have to oh, leave yeah, this those, year. Those are really expensive. But Maybe you should put a tag on them or something. I don't you know. know I thought about that. Yeah. But then I thought, does that seem- but no, you know, it's probably, it. I should probably yeah, do that. Do yeah. I, do. I also wanted to tell you, you know, if anybody has, I'm no expert, but if anybody has any questions, they're interested in doing workshops or they just have like logistical questions, they should feel free to send me an email or a message. I'm happy to talk them through it, give them a pep talk if they need <laughs> one, so any of those things. Yes. I'm really happy to answer questions because I've really kind of just been figuring it out as I go, but I definitely think I've learned something. So, you know, Hopefully this is helpful. And if anybody has any other questions, they should. Aww, thank you so feel much for yeah. able to, no, to reach sure. out to me. We're going to leave your, your social media handle and website information on the blog. So if anyone does want to reach out to Emily, that information is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Thank well, you thank so much. Thank you guys so much for having me. It's an <laughs> honor. No, thank you. Thank you for coming on, on our podcast yeah. as the first artist of the year for 2020. 